Welcome, everybody, to All About Symbian, Insight 242, recording this on Thursday, 19th of September, 2013. I'm Steve Litchfield, with me, Rafe Blanford. Hello, everybody. We ought to apologise, really. In the previous podcast, apparently, I introduced it as Insight number 240, which confused everyone when it was, in fact, 241. So apologies for that, and hopefully we'll get it right. Yeah, and that was entirely my fault, because I think I put the uh, number on the show notes that we were working our way through and then i realized when i was actually doing the editing so corrected it in the name but uh, couldn't go back and imitate steve and put the right number in the actual audio so yeah uh, apologies for that everybody and that was me thinking it was my fault <laughs> <laughs> since the last podcast which was a month ago i was trying to stick to a monthly schedule now in the simbing world we have had this slightly momentous news and um, that microsoft has bought nokia's devices division now this is covered in gory detail on the site and on allaboutwindowsphone.com, as you might imagine. And we have had Nokia's, uh, one of his their vice presidents, uh, Chris Weber, is it, um, saying that, confirming that there is support for Symbian and existing devices like the Asher series, all of those support for, certainly for Symbian until 2016, as was originally promised by Steve Neelop. And I did a whole feature on the site, Ray, probably saw the editorial, saying what what is the impact of Microsoft buying Nokia's devices division on Symbian users and our Symbian listeners. And the overall conclusion, apart from a little thing about repair parts, which we'll come to in a moment, the overall conclusion is not actually that much will change. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, I don't think it will really surprise anyone to, to know this. Um, I think it's fair to say that the Symbian product had been well and truly, uh, what's the Web 2.0 term, sunsetted by Nokia, and it was sort of winding down. I don't think that process will change at all, and I don't really think there's going to be a particular acceleration of that. Um, I mean, part of the reason for this is actually Microsoft is is buying the division. It's all the employees that go along with that, all its contractual commitments. And so when people talk about support, there's kind of two elements to it. There was the sort of fixing of uh, software bugs. Um, I think that conclusion we've already kind of come to is drawn to an end. There's the odd small update rolling out, but they do tend to be pretty small. I think there may well be a few of those, you know, we're talking about over-the-air software updates. But for the most part, that's sort of already come to a conclusion, certainly in terms of anything big. Uh, The other element, I guess, is the sort of the service side, so things like uh, Nokia Store or being able to download maps. I think those mainstream ones, um, you know, that come from Nokia, that's not an issue. Uh, Nokia Store, well, it's actually still used by the Series 40 uh, devices and you know there's still enough Symbian devices out there that Nokia will maintain that. If you look a few more years down the road, of course it's going to get to the point in time where some of those things uh, may get switched off. But I don't think that actually makes any difference whether it's under Microsoft ownership or not. I mean, uh, some people have suggested that Microsoft may maliciously choose to turn things off. But, uh, <laughs> I just you know it's not the way that big business operates. And then there's kind of the legal side to support. You know, people who've got warranties uh, and things like that. And Nokia is obliged to basically, once it sells a device, in some countries it will be a two-year support warranty and sometimes it will be longer and, and shorter. You know, Obviously, it's obliged to do that from a legal point of view. You may need to read the small print in some cases because support may involve, if your device breaks, it getting replaced, but it won't necessarily be replaced by the same device. So in theory, you could replace a, a Symbian device and have it, sorry, break a Symbian device and have it uh, fixed or replaced rather by a Windows Phone device, which probably leads us quite neatly into the the supply or the component issue you were talking about, Steve. I felt a bit like a real journalist here, having an anonymous source and getting a a leaked screenshot from an inventory system uh, talking about the Nokia Care Protect program and basically saying 
in, in some parts of the world, and one, if you extrapolate that across the world, I guess it's fairly typical, um, certain devices are not to be accepted into the Nokia CareProtect program after the end of August 2013. But you look at the list of devices and it's basically everything with everything it runs Symbian. So what they're saying is, effectively, they're on their last 12 months approximately across the board of spare parts for some of these, uh, if not all, of these Symbian models. I, I guess that's no surprise, Rafe. If you've got something like a Nokia N96 or an N97, Okay, apparently, maybe there are millions of N97s in landfill somewhere they could parts <laughs> from. But in many cases, some of these devices, they are now old enough that you wouldn't necessarily expect to be, to be able to get every single spare part. But to see things like the Nokia 808 and the Nokia 701 uh, and the 603, which are all comparatively recent devices, still with arguably less than a year's worth of spare parts, is at least a wake-up call, and that didn't actually prompt me, and I put a piece up on the site about getting a duplicate of a device you really liked. In my case, I went and bought myself another, another 808 as a backup. But uh, I think this is a wake-up call for everyone generally if they really are a Symbian hardcore fan. It, it, it is, and actually the, the reality here is you know, that kind of decision's been made quite a long time ago, and the truth is it uh, applies to most devices. You know, the, the spare parts will be in for you know, a year or so, after you know it's been announced and at which point the, you know the support programs will quite naturally start winding down you know there'll be less volumes going into the repair center i mean if you look at that same list it's notable that some of the early windows phone devices are also on in fact pretty much yeah. any device that's over a year old is on that list and as you said it means uh, it's not being taken into this kind of extended care program which means they can't guarantee they'll be able to repair it after uh, a year as I say in some cases the warranties will actually last longer than that it depends on your your country but as i suggested earlier it could in theory be replaced by a non-simian device so yes i think that's good advice there if you're really dependent on your device and you're worried about it getting broken and, and let's face it accidents do happen um or you know it, it, it fails because there's some component fault you know you'll be well advised to get um a, a spare or a, a replacement of some description I mean, part of me also goes, well, that's kind of the natural process that happens and it may force you into, you know, moving to another platform or to, you know, another device before you want to. Um, I think in the next year or so, there will probably be enough secondhand devices floating around that if you want to stay on Symbian, it should be relatively uh, painless to do so. It's much beyond that that it becomes maybe a little more debatable. Uh, But I actually think, going back to the first topic, whether Microsoft owns Nokia's device and service division, we should emphasize it's actually still provisional. It hasn't gone through yet, although personally, I don't think that's going to be a problem. Um, yes, you need to sort of start thinking about uh, this kind of thing. Um, and I suspect it probably applies mostly to people who've got a device like the N8 or maybe the 808, which is, uh, you know, let's say, somewhat unique um, yeah. because of the camera capability and they want to maintain that. I mean, there are now choices in both the Android and the Windows phone world, and arguably iPhone as well, that give you maybe not quite the same camera, but it's getting closer at least. Um, maybe we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, and, you know, as much as anyone else, I want the Symbian devices to, to keep on living. But I think you get to a point where you have to be realistic. I mean, um, Steve, as much as you love them, I'm very much doubting that you're still using a, a Cyan Palm Top. <laughs> the only time I've turned a Cyan Palm Top on in the last 10 years is to check it still works and maybe to look at one menu item for a, for a, 
a friend or customer, then it goes off again for another three or four years with the batteries <laughs> taken out. So, <laughs> so there we go. I can, still, I can still see myself using an 808, and maybe not as a, my main device, maybe as a secondary device, even in two or three years' time, because it is that unique. And I, I genuinely cannot see the way current industry design is going. Anything really getting significantly better than the 808, if, if even matching it in the last uh, next two or three years, the Lumia 1020, which we've been chatting about quite a lot, it gets quite close to the 808 in some circumstances and is more flexible, arguably, and is on a more modern platform. But there are still things the 808 does best, and I'm certain that's why I've got a spare, and that's why I shall still have one in my pocket doing it with playing some role or other, I think, in 2015 and 2016. Yeah, and we've got a, an item coming up later on the podcast talking more about that comparison, but I'd agree the 808 in particular is the one device that stands out as being a bit unique. And I think you're spot on in saying it's, you know, it's not going to be a, a primary device uh, but for those that have got one, you know, it's, well, you use that maybe rather than going out and buying a separate point and shoot or, you know, you, you know you've got that piece of equipment and it is pretty uniquely capable um, as a connected camera. I think you're quite right in saying it's, it's not going to be uh, beaten. I think all the other bits that go with it in terms of the smartphone bit, it's not obsolescent by any means, but it's certainly an older generation and I think you have to be somewhat realistic about when that uh, that gets replaced. But, uh, you know, it's interesting. It's I wouldn't say it's a cul-de-sac of, of technology, but it's this rather unique thing that stands out. And um, I think people probably get tired of singing the praises of the a because in terms of the percentage of Symbian devices, it's a tiny, tiny fraction. I mean, the N8, by contrast, is a sold many many more millions i mean uh we never got any uh shipment numbers out of nokia but the suspicion would have to be that the 808 was probably uh a million or maybe the low millions whereas something like the n8 certainly got to the five to ten million mark so i would suggest uh, maybe 10 times as many n8s as 808s out there um and uh I, you know don't denigrate the 808 because that's got a very capable uh camera as well it's got a very robust you know build and quality to it um i actually think it will stand up better in terms of you know being dropped and then something like the 808 i mean they're, they're both nokia devices so they're both um uh, tend to be uh, well put together uh, but the uh, i still wish that aluminium frame or that shell on the uh, n8 which carried about in my pocket you know for a long time that was my main device and kind of hanker after that kind of tank-like quality a little bit without it being a massive device but um i probably stopped reminiscing about those devices and the other thing we should maybe talk about on this particular topic is uh, access to sort of applications now there's kind of a double-edged sword isn't there here steve one is yeah. is nokia store going to keep operating i think that's probably it's going to stay operating but actually what we're seeing is quite a few developers are tr- choosing to pull their apps out of the store or maybe they're not renewing their developer subscriptions there's various reasons that can happen so what can people do in that kind of latter case you know how can they get access to sys files well it's tricky in the case of commercial applications of course um, I, I would hope that developers as they pull their developer id and account and as their apps to, um, get removed from the nokia store that they think okay well i've made my money from it i'm now on other things let's put it up as a freeware download on my own website. And obviously someone like me is, is well-placed to pick up on those stories, pick up on the SIS files and provide links either from my own site or from All About Symbian. And um, we're already seeing developers putting the SIS file, the store files, as in parallel to the Nokia store on their own site, especially for, obviously for freeware. And in some cases where you can actually pay using an alternative method, as we used to do in the old days, um, 
And uh, we'll seeing up. We put some stories up on the site this week. Um, theme box was a good example. Somebody at Nokia decided, um, as of July the first, not to accept any more submissions for Symbian themes into the store, um, which upset quite a few people. Now you could argue we've already got ten thousand theme themes. Do we need any more? But people love creating themes, and people love using new themes. And so, um, theme box was an initiative from um, one of the Symbian developers who's a. It's started small and it's going to about, it's about 10 themes, which doesn't sound much, but it's the first of many. I think there'll be several of these sites, whether for applications, games, utilities, themes, um, growing. And as, as in the old days, people will have to do a bit of Googling, a bit of scouting around, a bit of link following in order to find the install files. My um, curated app store and curated game store over on my, uh, my own stevelitchfield.com domain was kind of my first attempt. I just got utterly, utterly fed up with the amount of um, junk and novel novelties in the Nokia store, especially as more of the Series 40 and Java stuff is creeping in. Um, but uh, increasingly, as the Symbian content and some of the some of the top Symbian apps actually start disappearing from the store, I'm more and more careful. This, this, these curated directories of mine, they, and also of other people out there on, online, may actually become the way people discover apps and do downloads in the future. Yes, I, I think that's right because I think you can make the assumption that people looking for Symbian software are those you know who have got a Symbian device and are familiar with the way things work. And of course, you know, it, it's if you reset your device for some reason that I think this becomes an issue. It's not really new people coming in, although there is a set of secondhand devices, um, and where possible, you know, get the sys file online. I think that's talking to developers. If any developers want um, us to host their sys files for them, we're quite happy to do that. We can put it up on uh, All About Symbian. There's plenty of space on the server for that kind of thing. Um, obviously, for users' point of view, if you've got a freeware sys file that you want to send us, that's fine. Um, on the commercial side, obviously, it does require permission from the developer before you can do anything like that. Um, and I think the indie developers are pretty good, you know, if they are withdrawing the app from the store. They do tend to try and make an effort to make it available. I think it will be the bigger software companies who, you know, have made games available or something like that, where that may not happen. Um, and I think you just have to kind of accept that that's part of the process of a platform fading away. And we've seen it you know, happen to Palm. We've seen it happen to Sign in the past. Um, and I think Symbian will go through a similar process. So if there are apps that you absolutely really rely on, it's a good idea to have your own backup as well, I would say. Yes, and there's the well-documented trick, of, especially for freeware. If you sign into the Nokia store and add slash download at the end of the URL, then you download the SIS file. In some cases, you end up downloading a .dm file, but if you just open that, this is getting really geeky, Rafe, but if you <laughs> open the DM file in any um, um, good text editor, you'll find you can just strip off the four lines of header text and then it, and just rename it to SIS and it will work fine. So Yes, and there's, there's plenty of instructions for how to do that online. I suspect most of the people listening to this will have already got their favourite software uh, <laughs> stored somewhere in particular and... Um, or are moving on to other devices and actually the Symbian devices are you know, going to be about the camera as we've already uh, already talked about. But um, I guess the uh, thing we should conclude with here is actually I think the Microsoft potential acquisition, we should say, of device and services division from Nokia won't really have an impact on Symbian device users. Uh, the one one thing that has been flagged up is the map servers uh, and this is where you download uh, map data into here maps into the applications associated with that. I actually think that will be maintained because that's really going to be the responsibility of um, actually here, which is still part of Nokia. And I think 
you know, the amount of time that that will uh, continue for will have really no impact um, from this uh, Microsoft acquisition. So although obviously it's the end of an era and, you know, I think particularly for Symbian users that can justifiably shed a tear and sort of say, uh, <laughs> remember the good old days yeah. in terms of uh, the real world impact, there isn't going to be going to be one. And I think on future podcasts, we might have a, a, a bit of a nostalgic look back and say, was there anything that could have been done differently? Uh, but the way to regard the potential acquisition at this point in time is it's something that's happened and uh, it was probably the uh, best outcome given the circumstances for what was uh, happening to Nokia and for those that like the Nokia hardware as opposed to specifically Symbian, um, that's going to live on under the, the Microsoft brand, although there's clearly a lot of uncertainty. We'll have to wait and see, but uh, we won't get too into that in this podcast because we have got some other bits of news to talk about, haven't we, Steve? Yeah, well, you, we haven't mentioned um, software patches and updates. Just to mention, since our last podcast, there have been three major updates, all issued through SW Update. I'm just looking at my, my Nokia 700 here. Uh, Bell FP2 device, and there's a fix for gallery image sharing, a Twitter login fix um, for Nokia Social, and a YouTube update to gallery. All, all of all of which are actually tying in with uh, changes made in the APIs at the service lens. And so Twitter, Facebook, uh, YouTube, all changing their their interfaces very slightly in terms of how applications upload and sync data. So of course, uh, Accenture under Nokia's guidance, so I guess Microsoft's guidance going forward are just making the appropriate tweaks to the code so that they stay compatible. So highly recommended, as usual, to go into SW update. Yeah. Nothing really earth-shattering, but basically everything still works. But it was pretty encouraging to actually see these updates come through because I, I wondered whether this would actually happen for some of these things um, because, relatively speaking, the, the, the Nokia social and things like the YouTube update um, are relatively minor bits of functionality, but clearly someone's keeping an eye on these things and has updated them. So that's, I, I think, pretty good news and in, an encouraging sign because I always, I think we've said on previous podcasts, we always thought that that kind of web service element would be the first bit to fail simply because you know, it'll get to the point where an API will change and it'll stop working. Now, of course, that can still happen in the future, but you know, with these updates, uh, particularly with something like Twitter, you should be secure for uh, you know, quite a bit longer and of course, there are some third-party apps out there also uh, going through the same changes and doing the same updates. And I've seen a, cu a couple of those come through as well. So that's encouraging too. Yeah, and of course, there are still new, amazingly, brand new, or at least new to me, applications, commercial applications for Symbian coming forward. Easy Street View is one, which uh, I covered on the site, and also Music Cloud, which I'll come to in a moment. Um, Easy Street View, Rafe, basically it gives you two panes on your Symbian device's screen, one showing the raw Google Maps, um, Maps, obviously the vector maps, and the, the other one below showing you the street view for wherever you've got highlighted on the map. So uh, in the in the old-fashioned way of using Google Maps and Symbian, which is now starting to break using the old 2010, I think it is, client, you'd have to mess around, find the place you want, go through about 15 taps, then finally get through to street view and hope it worked. And with easy street view, you basically search for anywhere, tap on the map, and bang, you bounce straight into street view. It works really well. It's only a couple of quid, and uh, I think it's highly recommended. Yeah, I was really impressed by this. Um, I read about it after you did the write-up and just think it's great because, as you said, the Google Maps client has failed. I mean, that hasn't been updated in a long time, so it's not really a surprise to see that happen. But this gives you the Street View functionality perfectly acceptable. I mean, actually, I almost thought it was a better implementation um, of Street View in many ways than kind of the standard one that takes over the full screen. It certainly, to me, was a bit clearer about yeah. what you're looking at, which especially if you do a lot of browsing around in the Street View rather than just looking at one particular location, 
is really rather helpful and of course you can switch back and forth between the two and that's how i actually use it on the android devices um and i i find street view personally useful for that kind of last couple of hundred yards of navigation when you're trying to identify a, a particular place and you can't read the shop sign or whatever it happens to be um but Honestly, I have to I have to say I was pretty amazed to see an application like this come out. And all credit to the developer. And there's you're not the only one. Um, and I say this as someone who's you know been involved in the Symbian world for many years. I'm kind of surprised to still see uh, new apps coming out because of the you know the negativity really around Symbian. And I think even the the staunchest Symbian fan would acknowledge that Symbian is. Um, dead uh, on on its way out in terms of you know devices but there are still a lot of uses out there so i hope lots of people buy and download this application to reward the developer for his efforts i imagine a lot of this is actually about probably wanting to uh, scratch an itch and sort of getting it working for himself and i know that's the motivation for a couple of other developers who are releasing new apps um, but there are also others who are continued build apps and enormous credit to them and thank you very much um, i think is the, probably the best thing to say well, another application which is kind of up your street, Rafe, um, Music Cloud. Now, I, maybe I'm I'm reading too much, and you being you being a SoundCloud expert, but I noticed you have been using that for some of the other podcasts you do. So, Music Cloud, spelt with a K, M U S I K L O U D. I did a write up on this. It's by the same developer as QTube, which we're all big fans of. So, it basically, provides the same sort of interface, searching soundcloud for interesting sound files and um, following certain artists so did you get a chance to look at this i haven't actually had a a chance to download this uh, myself but as you say you know the integration with soundcloud it's done very well i mean i've looked at your write-up of this again i have to give steve credit here he's continuing to uh, write about these new symbian apps while i've sort of been concentrating more on the windows phone world um, you'll have to forgive me for that but i am talking about it here on the podcast uh, yeah. and it, again it was sort of wow this is actually something that provides a really good uh, you know, soundcloud experience through a mobile app on a symbian device which just isn't something i expected to see i mean i have used it through the mobile web version and that works well enough especially um, with the more recent versions of the Symbian browser, if you use something like Opera as well, it works well. Um, but yeah, it, it's great. I mean, I actually use SoundCloud for now hosting both the All About Symbian and All About Windows Phone uh, podcast. That was in response to people who were having a few problems downloading it. And so far, Touchwood, it seems to be uh, working well. Um, but also, uh, there's quite a few other podcasts stored on SoundCloud that I listen to. And so it's great to have access to it uh, that way. Uh, it's kind of an alternative to using a, a, a podcasting application for those podcasts. And actually, um, I'm going to download this and use it on the Symbian device, where actually it's not my main podcatching device anymore. That has shifted over to Windows Phone, but occasionally I suspect I would want to be able to listen to things. So it's going to be great for that. Yeah, apparently Music Cloud is mainly for music, and I had a browser around um, SoundCloud the other day while preparing the story, and there's actually some pretty good music out there, and I, I, I spent a happy couple of hours listening to stuff, I, just, just streaming off SoundCloud and really enjoying it, so thoroughly recommended, just as with YouTube, it's probably a big sink of time, but at least it's audio, so you can get on with something else. <laughs> Yeah, you yeah, you're right, I mean, SoundCloud is mainly about music, I mean, um, the podcasting I think is just an added element that some people will use it for, but uh, because of the some of the uh, tools it offers musicians in particular it's actually a good way to store music kind of a, a, an alternative to uh, myspace and some of the other music centric kind of social uh, sites and uh, you're right there's actually a lot of music on there that if you want to kind of have some free music to listen to you can actually go through i would say many hours worth 
uh, of just listening to that. And the other thing it's used for is actually by the Nokia design team, use it for uh, storing some of their ringtones or rather making them available to the, the public. So should you want to, you can actually go and uh, explore about 100 or so different Nokia ringtones. Uh, and it's the Nokia design team that you need to search for their account on SoundCloud. Okay, talking of things appearing, um, things disappearing, uh, just to mention briefly, because I know that both my own phone show and also all about Symbian had um, app wizards in the Nokia store. Basically, this was a system, an, an initiative of Nokia's uh, three or four years ago, whereby they produced a wizard online. You, the, the content producer, in this case, all about Symbian, say, fills out their RSS details, the, the icons they want to use, uh, and the application then kind of builds itself and gets issued as an application in the Nokia store. Now, of course, lots and lots of people did this. And there's basically one application for every website almost in the Symbian world, and it quickly became a tiny bit un unbearable. Um, the fact that these app wizards apps have suddenly disappeared from the Nokia store is probably ref reflects, uh, Rafe, the fact that the underlying infrastructure, this app wizard builder and maintenance system, because I know they got updated every now and then, I think those servers are, are being decommissioned. So it's not altogether surprising to see these app wizard apps disappear from the Nokia store. But I think, guess some people would argue that uh, good riddance and that they really kind of clog things up when people, if people want RSS, they can go, jolly well go and get the feed normally. <laughs> yes, I mean... Uh... There were an awful lot of these um, app-wizard apps. At one point, they made up um, almost um, half the content in the uh, Ovi, <laughs> uh, in the Ovi store, as it then was. And actually, I think that figure kind of increased over time. Uh, and that was including all the themes and ringtones and everything else. And so within the app section, it got to the point where two out of every three apps were generated by app-wizard, and the vast majority of them were relatively low quality. It's kind of a shame that Nokia couldn't have looked at the ones that had been downloaded most and preserved those and made sure they stayed in the app store. But otherwise, I can't feel that there's a massive uh, loss going on here. And as you say, you can uh, subscribe to the RSS feed um, you know, either in the web browser or download one of the RSS reading applications available for Symbian. That's probably a better way to consume them because um, they were a bit ropey sometimes with the way they formatted content and images coming in from the feeds. I know that was a problem on the uh, All About Symbian version. Uh, you can actually have the SIS file, and I have put this up somewhere on the All About Symbian server, and I'll make sure I include a link in the show notes, so you can still download and use uh, those apps. But there is a, a, a back um, server element to them as well, and I suspect Nokia is going to shut that down as well, which means the apps uh, will stop working altogether, uh, which is something of a shame. Um, and uh, I suspect it's actually a case of that this app wizard was actually... Uh, generated through a service that was run by a company called Mippin, um, and they have their App Factory product, and it was based on that. And I suspect the contract with Nokia has come to an end, and so it's sort of uh, got shut down and is, say, disappearing. So it may well be, even if you've got these apps installed on your phone, they may may stop working. Um, the last time I checked, it was working okay, but it's uh, something to keep in mind, and I'll try and keep an eye on that as well for people so uh, and let you know what happens yeah rafe mentioned there that there are some third-party uh, rss and news reading um, applications for symbian which in my opinion work far better than just going <laughs> to go to about 15 different separate app wizard apps um, just to mention them by name you can find them on the site gene newsreader which has been updated since i think to use the um, the feedly back end as google reader closed down and there's also thor which started off as an acronym for the standing for the old reader a client for another 
Google Reader replacement. They've um, recently expanded to include other news aggregators. So G News Reader and Thor, go and look on the site. I think there might be a couple of others whose names I'm forgetting, so apologies for that. But there's certainly no shortage of options in terms of acquiring news and acquiring stuff in the Symbian world. Um, briefly, Ray, before we just go on to our very last topic, uh, the Nokia DC19, a brand new USB charger. I noticed you cross-posted this to all about Symbian. I'm, I'm guessing you haven't tried, got, got one of these or tried them with a Symbian phone, but it looks like a decent uh, emergency charger for us all. Yeah, no, I haven't actually uh, got one of these because it's a new product. It should be out in the next month or so. And it's pretty reasonably priced. It's obviously going to vary from uh, market to market, but you should be able to pick one up for around um, £20 or so. The reason I sort of cross-posted this is because actually it applies just as much to the Symbian device as it does to the Windows Phone devices. Um, it uses a, a micro USB thing for the connector. Um, it's a kind of this um, long tube shape, and actually people probably remember that there's already one of these available um, from Nokia. It's the DC-16, I believe it is. But if yeah. you compare the two, they're very similar in size. Actually, the DC-19, the new one, is marginally shorter and just slightly wider. Um, so actually, it's a bit more compact, if anything. Uh, but it has extra capacity. It's 3,200 milliamp hours as opposed to 2,200 milliamp hours. Uh, the difference is that actually, even on the higher capacity uh, Symbian phone, so the BP4L, you should have no problems uh, recharging completely your phone at least once and actually get a substantial way through a second charge as well, which is something that's pretty attractive. The previous model, it really was only good for one charge. Um, the other thing is it'll also recharge things a bit quicker. Now, this will apply only to the more recent uh, Symbian devices, and that's to do with the output from the charger. It's 1,200 milliamp hours on the new one versus 950 milliamp hours on the old one. So for the more recent devices, that should be anything in the last three or four years or so. So the ones where micro USB start becoming kind of the main recharging mechanism, it should recharge about 25 to 30% faster on this with this newer unit. And I mean, there are loads of these portable battery chargers out there. We particularly like the ones from uh, Pro Porter. But for those of you that you know like sticking with Nokia accessories, uh, it's t I think it, to to be recommended. And as I say, it's it's got a, a recommended retail price of twenty nine euros. I suspect, like a lot of Nokia accessories, it might be a bit difficult to track down at first. Um, but I use one of the DC sixteens, and I've really enjoyed that, and it's been a, a faithful companion. So I think I'll be picking up one of these uh, new units in due course. Yeah, and rather annoyingly, I have got a DC-16 somewhere around, and I, I've lost it. And I, I have about five <laughs> different emergency chargers, and at any one time, two of the five are lost, which is, but then again, I guess uh, you have redundancy. <laughs> it's not a real-world problem, but kind of annoying, because I wanted to play with the, the older version again. Yeah. Anyway. Well, and the, and, and the reason I like, like this model in particular is actually it's got four LED lights on it that light up to tell you what the... Uh, charge level of the batteries because i'm sure we've all been in that situation where you've got your emergency battery and you realize that you've forgotten to charge it or it's lost its charge over time uh, and this quite a lot of the units now do this they have kind of some kind of uh, battery indicator um, on the side but it's not always completely reliable and actually four leds was enough to indicate you know 25 percent 50 percent 75 percent or full charge um, and you know being a, a bit of knocker design it was actually incredibly well put together um, I mean, that, that's really why the Pro Porter ones are rather good, because they've obviously tested a lot of different manufacturers. I mean, they brand them themselves, but obviously they're built by another company. Uh, and uh, there are a lot of low-quality ones out there. And I'd sort of be tempted to say you rather get what you pay for some of the time um, on these kind of accessories. So uh, my, my advice would always be 
don't go for the cheapest option go for you know a well-known brand or from a, a retailer you trust um uh, proport is probably the one you rely on most isn't it steve i, I know from seeing you at various events with uh, both the the pocket star one and some of the bigger versions as well yeah i wouldn't want to t- this to turn into an advert but i i am great <laughs> friends with the guys and i have been since about 1993 1994 which is just almost 20 years now wow um, so I just try, I trust them. I, and a lot of people out there do trust them. If anything goes wrong, they just replace it without question. So, uh, um, the, the, um, the Pro Porter Pocket Power, which I keep plugging on my own furniture chat podcast, I actually handed you one a couple of days ago. I wondered if you had the chance to see it. I, I used it just the other day because I was, um, in London and I was coming back on the train and the phone went, Oh, I'm out of power. And I said, Oh, I know what I've got. Plugged it in and it gave me enough time to keep on them. I was, uh, uh, reading a book on my phone and that gave me enough power to sort of get me back home without having to sort of sit there twiddling my thumbs. So thank you very much, Steve. <laughs> You're welcome. Final discussion point, because we don't want to run too long. We mentioned the Lumia 1020 versus Nokia 808, that the wars rumble on, the battles ramble on, Rafe, and the comments threads on your site, um, they, they get longer and longer every time. Um, it's a pretty hot topic. I, I, my, the piece I wanted to focus on here, though, was the... Uh, I discovered on the Lumia 1020 running Windows Phone, of course, um, same pixel resolution, uh, but a slightly different way of manipulating the raw data. Uh, and it t- transpires that the 1020, when you take a 5 megapixel photo, you snap a scene, it takes that 5 megapixel photo, actually oversampling it in roughly the same way as the A208 does, and produces a 5 megapixel JPEG. If you then do the, you know, the, the zoom later stuff that Nokia keep trumpeting, if you I re- use the reframe tool to you know to pan it to pan the photograph to zoom in to reframe it, you're then having to work from the already stored, already compressed JPEG image, which means you end up with a slightly degraded five megapixel experience, experience as opposed to the original one, which was oversampled from the raw data. And even then, I would argue that the the 808's oversampling from the raw um, sensor data at capture time is slightly superior. But I did put up a crop of a, a photograph of my bookshelf. And, and I, I would contend that if you stick that original five megapixel shot, I just use the A1020 to, to taking photographs and then not messing with them. I not forcing it to resort to working from the full resolution 38 megapixel JPEG. That initial, initial five megapixel image is not that far degraded from the 808. In other words, it gets as close as any other camera phone in the world does to the Nokia 808. And for this alone, I think we should, uh, we should say, okay, that alone reason it might be a potential upgrade for eight to eight users who not wanted to compromise on camera quality uh, a bit of a controversial statement there steve i mean <laughs> I, i've actually been able to use the 1020 for the first time for any length of time for the last um, well, it's just over a week now uh it's interesting i found that the camera elements of it is pretty much what steve said many times in this review there's very little to choose between it and the 808 you know you will get uh, different elements or different circumstances where one will prove superior to the other but overall if you know what you're doing with the camera you probably will be able to get more out of the 808 and that's partly because of the extra controls over things like saturation and super fine and other elements but also i think because of the way that it's uh, it's set up from a camera point of view we've talked a little bit about the way the silicon works in the image processing and what steve was referring to there with the way the kind of the oversampling works but it does have to be offset against the fact that you've got 
um, the rest of the smartphone there. And there's no question in my mind with the 1020, it handily beats the 808 there. And it's not necessarily about uh, Symbian versus Windows phone. It's just the ability to do other stuff with it. And it's a smartphone that is of the current generation in terms of the way you think about things. Um, and probably for me, one of the most telling things was I've sort of sh- shared a few more images, both via email and up onto social media, which is something... I did do from the 808, but it was a bit more of an effort. And actually, I tended to take photos off the 808 and then send them to people, whether I was doing stuff on the 1020. So it might be an interesting uh, illustration for people who are, are wondering about that update. Um, specific to what you were saying with this kind of the purity thing, um, it's not really a, a surprise because obviously what the 1020 does on the reframing, just as if you're you know cropping or you know, changing a, an 808 image, you know, it's going through the JPEG compression thing more than once. And so JPEG, as everyone knows, is somewhat uh, lossy as a format. And so you're kind of having that happen twice. Um, Actually, the 808 and the 1020 are notable for it not being too much of a problem because their images are so pure uh, compared to a lot of other camera phones. You'll do a lot more damage to JPEGs um, when they're kind of lower quality to start with if you then re-encode them. But I I have to admit, Steve, I looked at your examples and I could see what you're talking about on the bookshelf, but it was pretty hard to pick out in the other examples. I mean, I think a lot of the time, you know, a small change in the light or just a slight change in how you're holding the camera will probably have a a bigger impact on the end result. But it's fair enough. There is a point to be made there. And I think if you're... um, you know, as someone who's looking for every last bit of detail, uh, don't use the reframing on the 1020. Um, you know, try and frame it as much as you can, you know, when you first take the image. And as Steve also said, use the zoom. Most people, you're not going to have to worry about that. And I think even the majority of people are listening to this podcast, you know, actually you'll get far more out of using the reframing and sort of getting it onto the exact bit you want and then sharing that bit of the image. Um, but it's it's just a, a tribute to the level of detail that Steve goes into to bring you the answers about uh, Nokia's camera technology. So a uh, thank you from me to see, because I certainly learned quite a bit reading the article as it sort of went through various modifications. I mean, people may not realise this, but Steve and I do talk about the uh, articles before they go live. But on this occasion, it was all down to Steve and I didn't actually see it until it went live and there were several elements that then got updated um so it was kind of great to see that process um and for those who are looking at this 808 and 1020 comparison the simple conclusion from me would be yes it's a worthy upgrade uh, but just bear in mind it's actually produced from a slightly different standpoint and if you want to summarize it very briefly is that the uh, 808 was actually about producing a camera that I think was for camera specialists. And what I mean by that, that all the default settings and the way it operates was about producing results that were as faithful as possible and minimize the processing. On the 1020, you've got a very similar base level of performance. If you read the, uh, the site and the articles that Steve's put up, you'll know there are differences in the actual technologies, the sensor size and backside illumination, all of that kind of thing. But I actually think there's not a lot to choose between them when it actually comes down to kind of that ability to capture a photo or capture light, which is what it comes down to. Um, but there is a, a different philosophy in the way the sort of the processing is done. And it's sort of a little more processing to make things a bit more vibrant, to um, put some extra colors in it. It's about saturation. I mean, 
it's quite hard to talk about it in a short frame words, and I'm trying to do a summary here, which I'm failing at miserably. Uh, but there is that kind of different ethos. I actually don't think it matters. And for me, I mean, I, I'm not a, a professional photographer by any means, but I will often look at the, and I did some you know, direct side-by-side comparisons. I thought the 1020 is coming out and it's producing photos that kind of look better to my eye. And then you look at the real scene and go, it's not quite as accurate though. Um, but if you can live with that, um, I think you'll probably end up with photos that you're you're happy with. And I noticed that you linked on the site to uh, uh, an opinion from uh, uh, Damien Dinning, one of the guys behind Nokia's camera technology for many years, who'd actually posted on pureviewclub.com about his opinion on the 808 and 1020. And he seemed to come to a pretty similar conclusion. Now, uh, Steve, you've been using the 1020 for a lot longer than I have, and you've been uh, putting it up against the 808 in lots of things. Did you agree with that sort of conclusion that Damien came to and which I've sort of kind of reiterated or would you still say you'd prefer to have the 808 most of the time? Well, before I go into that, the reason I prefer the 808 is actually because in my, my test, the Zin and Flash is stronger and I take a load of photos in, indoors and I, I still don't think the 1020's algorithms are quite tuned for Zin and Flash yet. I keep being assured by uh, Nokia's engineers, oh yes, the flash is, but taking into account the backside illumination, the flash on the 1020 is as effective as the 808, but in my test, it's not. And I can only be down to the image processing, so hopefully that will get fixed. Overall, though, I mean, I, I did, I did agree with what Damien was saying. He was basically saying, yes, his natural preference is for natural images, but he can, he, at the same time, with an objective hat on, now he's not actually working at Nokia, he can see that most people, most of the time, they do prefer more color. They do prefer more sharpness, even if it means that technically the image isn't quite of such a high quality. It's actually more pleasing. And at the end of the day, he's saying, well, OK, maybe maybe that is the direction to go in. That's the direction every other manufacturer has gone to. That's that, Those are the photos that people like to see. And apart from pixel peepers, as he calls them, like myself, who, uh, who might pop our heads above the parapet and say, oh, it's not quite as good. Most people will actually prefer it. I would actually say, Rafe, that... Um, it, you would t- keep talking about an upgrade from the Nokia 808, the Lumia 1020. In actual fact, we don't actually have to use the upgrade word at all because uh, surely every single Nokia 808 owner who's thinking about playing with the 1020 will end up getting a 1020 and keeping the 808 at the same time. I, I imagine there's fairly few people who are actually going to sell their 808 and use that cash, however much that might be, to fund the 1020. Surely people will think, well, I love my 808. I'm not parting with that for love nor money, but I'm going to get a 1020 on contract or Simfree or whatever. And I'll play with it, and they can have two devices side by side, and they can try all this for themselves. That's, that's absolutely right, because I think the 808 owners are amongst the most dedicated bunch of people I know in the smartphone world. Um, and sadly, actually, the second-hand price of the 808 has dropped uh, quite a bit, not surprisingly. I actually think in time it will go up, and so actually the sensible thing would definitely be to hold on to it. And if you find yourself not using it or not needing it, sell sell later on, and you'll probably do better that way than uh, selling now to fund any potential upgrade. I, I realise it's not an option uh, for everybody, Um and you're quite right. Actually calling an upgrade is a bit of a misnomer. I, I would call it, you know, a sideways movement on the camera because, as I say, I don't think there's a lot to choose between them. Um, it's on the smartphone side of things where I think you, you get a lot extra. And it's not just things like the, the bigger screen and the technology that inevitably is updated with the faster processors and more memory and all that kind of thing. You know, it, it does tie into this Symbian versus Windows phone question. We talked about that an awful lot. And there's still a reason, you know, people might want to go Android and I think the Sony Xperia Z1, which I know you're going to be looking at shortly, Steve, is is a, a potential option there for those looking for a really good 
camera phone device or on that. And indeed, the new iPhone's just been announced and has stepped forward the camera technology there again. None of them get close, I feel, to the 808 or the 1020. Um, but that, that difference, that gap has come down a little bit. And I suppose that's inevitable. And we always said the 808 was, you know, three or four years ahead of uh, anything else. And we're kind of two years into that cycle now. So it's not surprising that uh, there is a little bit of catch up going on. Uh, I think Steve's right when he said earlier in the podcast, it's going to be four years before there's anything quite like it available, if there ever is, because who knows which way uh, the camera technology uh, may go in the future. Uh, I think Nokia onto a smart thing with the way they've done things with this uh, pure view technology, particularly the phase one, this big uh, sensor and big megapixel count and then doing the oversampling. But uh, we'll have to wait and see. But I'm sure, Steve, you're going to be writing about that come what may uh, in the future. And there'll always be a, a reference to the 808 as I think um, one of those innovative camera phones that really uh, uh, stands the test of time, just as the 7650 was the first and the N95 was, I think, the first of the really high quality ones. The 808 was kind of the first of another generation of uh, technology and everything else has really been variations around those three devices. Yeah, although I do keep getting at the neck on all about windowsphone.com for mentioning 808. People say, the 808's dead, Steve. Symbian's dead. Why don't you just accept it and move on? <laughs> and I have promised that I'm not going to I'm not going to put the 808 quite so much on our, our sister site at All About Windows Phone. But, of course, I will be here for All About Symbian users. And where there's relevant comparisons, for example, to things like the Sony Xperia Z1, I'll be testing that this week in conjunction with the 808 and the 1020, and you can look forward to reading those articles on the site. Um, Rafe, you mentioned earlier, to finish the podcast, um, about the diff- different platforms and you perhaps switching to Windows Phone as a more modern platform. Just, And I know I'm a big Symbian fan, but there, there are some things that even I'm starting to miss now, and I'm, I know much, how much of an old fuddy-duddy I am. <laughs> For example, um, on my Windows phones and on my Android phones, I've got Netflix set up. I'm a big Netflix fan, and I, I switch my SIM card back to the 808. Oh, brilliant. I'm back on the Nokia 808. I love the, you know, I love the interface. I love the camera. I love the speaker. Love, ah, I can't watch my Netflix videos. And I know that's just one example, but most people have probably got similar modern applications, apps that are, you know, written in the last couple of years, which simply do not exist at all on Symbian. And I think that's probably a, might be a showstopper or at least a means for uh, deciding which platform to go to in the future. Yeah. And I think uh, if Steve, the kind of Symbian fan number one, well, no, calling you a fan is a disservice. The person who knows more about Symbian than anyone else I know, um, it's finding that experience. I'm sure there are other people out there that have the same thing. I think <laughs> there's a lot of people who've gone before you, Steve, that have found things that they <laughs> uh, don't have on the Symbian device. Uh, honestly, for, for me, uh, the, the interesting thing that what made the switch over for me was really about the web browser and the email experience. Um, they are, of course, present on the Symbian devices, but they just weren't up to what you could get on Android, Windows Phone, the iPhone, and elsewhere. And so that's ultimately what caused me to, to switch sort of, uh, you know, full-time, which was really happened when I got the uh, Nokia Lumia 920 just under a year ago now. Um, and, uh, you know, I do switch back to the 808 um, especially, and also fondly some of the other devices as well. Not, not so much uh, in the last month or so. Uh, and I sort of start using them. And get oh, I forgot how good this was as a phone device, and the the quality of some of that 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 phone stuff. Actually, I find it easy to use. So <laughs> sometimes I feel like I should carry it around just to make the phone call. But of course, that's only one element of the the smartphone now. And of course, there are I I, I joke slightly, but it's because um you know that 
function was very central in the Symbian devices. And it does feel sometimes it's a bit buried elsewhere. And I mean, that's more a reflection of all the other stuff going on on smartphones as well. Um, but as I say, it's for, for me, it was the, the mail and the browsing experience more than anything else. But it's interesting that you've uh, identified Netflix there. I think that's probably symptomatic of all sorts of online services. Um, we're very fortunate in the Symbian world to have uh, Gravity, which makes uh, Twitter and some of the other social services like Facebook are very usable on the Symbian devices. Uh, but if you don't like Gravity, I think uh, relying on Nokia Social, I, I feel a little sorry for you, simply because I think uh, the Twitter on other platforms, and particularly the um, uh, kind of the official Twitter client, has improved markedly over the uh, last year or so. Uh, that went to a new design. It's actually consistent across all the platforms, which if, like uh, us, you're switching between one platform and another, actually comes as something of a welcome relief because you know how it's going to work. The same thing applies actually to the Facebook application as well. And I, I, it's interesting, just maybe a thought to leave you with, um, I wonder whether this uh, ability to sort of recognise applications across platforms is something we may hear more about because what's undoubtedly true, we're not in the days where Symbian controlled 80% of the market. We've now got to the point where Android controls maybe 80% of the market, or is, well, it's actually not that much yet, but it's sort of potentially heading that way. And certainly in some markets that does apply. Um, but the idea that iOS or Windows Phone will disappear altogether clearly isn't going to happen. And so those uh, applications that provide a sense of familiarity across platforms are sometimes onto something of a winner, despite me um, a few years ago would have absolutely hated that idea. And I always wanted applications to look like the native ones on their respective platforms. So uh, for all these things we talk about and make pronouncements on, your view can change over the years. Uh, but we'll uh, keep on informing you about all the updates in the Symbian world. Steve, in particular, has got an amazing track record of talking about the new applications and still find stuff that I then go, oh, I'm going to have to download and have a play with that. Uh, indeed, we've mentioned a couple of them in this podcast. So thank you to you as well, Steve. And indeed, thank you. Thank you to all the listeners um, tuning in each month. We're going to try and keep it to a monthly schedule, certainly. Indeed. 12 months or so. And it, in fact, it means that there's always something to talk about. <laughs> it was a struggle, perhaps, on a, on a weekly basis at this stage in perhaps Symbian's life cycle. I think, oh, what are we going to talk about this week? Now, I know you and I are not normally lost for words, Rafe, but it is nice to have some meaty nuggets to talk about each time as well. Yes, that's right. Um, and I think there's going to be a few more bits of uh, uh, news to talk about because we know there's some more applications on the way. And I guess we'll probably be talking about uh, new devices to compare against the 808 next time. So uh, kind of trail that for uh, a podcast in a month's time. And as Steve said, thank you everybody very much for listening. Okay, and I'm also going to update my BlackBerry Q10 with a BlackBerry OS 10.2, and then I can do a valid comparison between that and the Nokia E6. So just to trail yet another comparison, which will probably be of interest to nobody because that form factor is apparently dead, but I still like it. <laughs> We're waffling, guys. Thank you very much for listening. Catch you next time on the All About Symbian Insight podcast.